Well, good morning, Southwinds. It's great, as always, to see each of you each week. Thanks for coming. We're so glad you're here. Today is week three of our series, Louder, Rising Above the Noise, where we are in these weeks thinking biblically about how we can rise above the noise of our culture, and we can do that by keeping our focus on the gospel. And as I've said to you the last couple of weeks, it has become, I think, very easy for Christ followers to allow all the noise that's around us to become the noise in us. And sometimes even we allow that noise around us to drown out what is most important to us, and that's the gospel. And so, so the central idea of this series is simply this. We want the gospel to be louder than everything else in our lives. And so we're just asking the question, how do we do that? How do we do that? So far, we have talked uh, about stopping social distancing, which we we said was not about six feet, but it was about us uh, as God's people not allowing the differences that we might have over different things that are lesser issues to divide us, but that we would stay unified around what matters most, which is the gospel. And then last week, we talked about taking off our masks, uh, which is not about uh, cloth, pieces of cloth, but it's about us getting honest with ourselves and with God uh, about our shame and about our guilt so that God can set us free and empower us uh, to tell others and help others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to be looking at a third idea. And, you know, we've been told as things have moved on that we don't need to hoard anymore. And so, uh, in other words, it's no more Hoarding, that's our third idea. You say, well, what's that about? Well, it started with toilet paper. I don't know if you remember that feeling of panic that many of us had in the early days of the pandemic when you know we went to store after store again and again, day after day, and there was no toilet paper. Some of you actually, you don't remember that because you still have enough toilet paper in your garage to last until 2030. And you know, in the pandemic's early days, people did, they hoarded a lot of stuff out of fear and out of panic. But interestingly enough, maybe not surprising for some, this me first approach to life has continued. And you know, maybe our our supply chains are in a lot better place now, but as a nation, wouldn't you agree that we become far more selfish, far more self-absorbed over these last 18 months? I think it's become all about putting ourselves first, hardly thinking about others. And you've probably seen it in your neighborhood. You've probably seen it at work. We see it on the news all the time. It's online all the time. It's just like we've given into this look out for number one mindset. And I think this reality raises an important question for us as Christ followers. And it's simply this. Is this how Jesus calls us as his people to respond? And the answer, I think, is obvious. So a third way that we can make the gospel louder is to live unselfish lives. Lives of putting others first, lives of serving, lives of sacrificial generosity. You know, if you read the gospels, you see that Jesus spent a lot of time teaching and modeling this kind of life, constantly working with his disciples to move them past selfishness and move them into servanthood. And you've probably noticed as you read the Gospels that selfishness was a real problem for them, just like us. 
There's kind of an interesting storyline in the Gospels that you might not notice if you don't read very carefully and closely. But when Jesus begins his final faithful journey to Jerusalem, he starts telling his disciples what's coming. He starts telling them that when they get there, he is going to be crucified. And more than once, as Jesus tells them, his disciples totally miss what he has to say. We, we see this, I think, most dramatically in three chapters of the Gospel of Mark, chapters eight, nine, and 10, where Jesus tells the disciples three times that he's about to be put to death and then he's gonna be raised to life. And each and every time his disciples are so focused on their status, their power, their privileges, that they don't hear what Jesus is saying. And Jesus just has to keep telling them and over and over again that following me is about serving. In Mark 8, verses 34 to 35, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. In Mark 9, Jesus tells them a second time, he's gonna be betrayed, he's gonna be killed, he's then gonna be raised from the dead. And then they stop on their journey that evening, probably in Capernaum. And this is what we read in Mark 9, 33 to 35. It says they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. I mean, just think about this. Jesus has just told his closest friends, the heaviest thing that he could share with them, that he is about to die. And all they're doing in response is selfishly arguing about their status and their privileges. Turn the page, go to the next chapter, Mark 10, it happens again. Once more, Jesus tells them, I'm going to be killed. And right after that, what do they do? They get in an argument among themselves about who's going to sit on the thrones on the left and the right of Jesus. It's almost like they're not listening. And once again, Jesus reminds them, this very familiar verse, Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus is just saying, I'm Messiah, I'm the son of God, and I'm a servant. What does that say about my followers? Doesn't that tell you my followers must be servants too? Well, if you keep going in the Gospels, this time we move over to the Gospel of John. And John's Gospel gives us a lot of stories and incidents that don't show up in the first three Gospels. And we have another incident just like this. And it's almost as if they still haven't gotten it. It's the night before his crucifixion. Jesus is in the upper room. And he gives us an incredibly powerful lesson. We find this in John 13, verses one through 17, which is our text for today. If you're not there yet, I hope you'll go ahead and get there. And what, what I want us to see as we study these verses is that the best way we can move beyond the last 18 months, the best way we can make the gospel louder is through us being servants, through us being people of generosity because people who serve make the gospel louder. And that's what Jesus is showing us in this story. We're, we're gonna be seeing four characteristics of servanthood that make the gospel louder. And the first one, you can write this down in your message notes if you're doing this on the app. Uh, first of all, this kind of servanthood flows from love. Look at verse one. 
John writes, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now, what we know about this verse when reading John's entire gospel is that this is the night before Jesus died. It's his last meal with his disciples. He has less than 24 hours to live. And now what he wants to do most is show them how much he loved them. And as we're going to see, Jesus does this by washing his disciples' feet. Now, for us to get what's actually going on here, it's important that we understand the historical and the cultural background because back then, particularly, no one really wanted to wash feet. I mean, we probably wouldn't look forward to doing that for other people these days, but you know, we take baths every day and we have you know, fast actin to nactin and you know, other things that make our feet probably a lot nicer than they were back then. But back then, people wore sandals. Roads were seldom paved. They were dusty trails in the summer. They were muddy you know, uh, trails in the winter. Livestock traveled the same roads doing what animals do. There were no sewer systems. And, and so people who, who, who walked these roads, when you came to a house, it meant that your feet were covered with, with dust and mud and manure and just filth. And that's why it was customary in those days for a host to provide a slave at the door to wash the feet of, of dinner guests as they arrived. And actually, <laughs> only the lowliest slaves were the one that did this. Apparently, there were some slaves who would say, I don't do dirty feet. But Jesus, he did. John says he served because he loved. Did you notice that phrase? He now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus loved his disciples so much, he would even wash their dirty feet. So I have a question for you. Do you do dirty feet? And what's dirty feet for you? See, building this, this life of servanthood always is going to require that we wash some filthy feet. And I wanna point out something that I have learned over the years is the most common excuse that we all give for not serving. Anybody wanna guess what that excuse is? I'm too busy. I don't have time. And with that in mind, I wanna point you to this verse again. John writes, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. What does this mean? It means within hours, God's son will be hanging on a cross atoning for the sins of the world. It means that in a few hours, nothing more momentous has ever happened or will ever happen in world history. And yet, Jesus had time to wash dirty feet. You know what I think? I think most of us find the time to do the things that we want. And all God's people reluctantly said, amen, amen. right? It's just true, isn't it? You ever notice that about yourself? And if that's the case, then I also think this is true. I think if I don't serve, it's because I don't really want to serve. And I also wanna encourage you to ask yourself, am I not serving as I should because I don't love as I should. I really think it's true if we have a problem serving, it's because we have a problem loving. And so we, we, need, to, we need to deal with our, our love. We make the gospel louder when we love and when 
Servanthood flows from that love. Here's the second thing that makes the gospel louder. It's servanthood that is marked by humility. Listen to verses two through five. It says, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now let's stop for a minute and think about what's going on here. What Jesus did was incredibly humble. And I wanna point out a couple aspects of it. The first is this. It was a, it was a physically unpleasant task for the reasons we've just mentioned. And it was just, it was just awkward. I mean, just think about it. Just, just think about what happens here. If Jesus took like a minute, just a minute to watch each foot, 12 disciples, 24 feet, it means that Jesus spent a half an hour or more silently bent over his disciples' feet, their dirty feet, scrubbing off, ground in dirt, and manure, filth. A half an hour of embarrassing silence, each disciple looking at each other, each disciple looking down at the ground, each disciple looking around, not looking Jesus in the eye. It was just very unpleasant. And it was also socially degrading. Uh, the culture they lived in had very clearly defined roles and I think we can kind of get this about this because even today, it is normal, isn't it, to wash your own feet? right? You probably rarely would ask someone else to wash your feet. And if you do, they're always going to be someone very, very close to you. It's kind of for the same reason that you floss your own teeth, right? It's just too close and personal. But back then, if someone did wash your feet, they would always be your social inferior, someone below you, far below you in status. They would be a slave, their culture was an honor-shame culture where, where social standing, respecting your superiors, knowing your place, very, very high priorities for them. You know, some of, us, uh, some of us come from cultures like this. We probably understand far better how this works than those of us who've only known American culture because in American culture, we tend to de-emphasize class and play down status differences. It's, it's sort of like maybe if you went to a restaurant with your boss and it's one of those restaurants, you know, uh, where they had free refills in the glasses that you went and got it for yourself and you guys both emptied your glass. Your boss said, hey, let me get you a refill. He took your glass you, you probably wouldn't say, no, 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 don't do that. You shouldn't do that. You are shaming me. You're my superior. Let me serve you. I mean, you wouldn't do that at all. You'd probably be thinking, my boss should do a lot more than this for me, right? But we wouldn't think that. But in that culture, that would have been a huge deal. I have a little picture. If you wanna kind of get a sense of what it might've felt like for them, imagine this scenario in our culture. Say you invited your boss over for dinner and at one point during the meal, your boss leaves and kind of is gone for a while and enough that you wanna know where he is and so you, you go looking for him and you find your boss in your bathroom cleaning your toilet. Like, is that one of the definitions of awkward? 
Would you be embarrassed about that? You would say, please don't do that. See, in that sort of feeling that these disciples have, Jesus, you're our Lord and Master. Why are you doing this? Why would you lower ourselves? And that's the point. Jesus was willing to humble himself and serve because he loved. I wanna make a couple of observations about humble service that apply to us today. See how these apply to your own life. The first is humility just doesn't draw attention to itself. We see in this story, Jesus never says a word about washing feet. He just starts doing it. Do you do that? Let me ask it in this way. Have you ever served and you made sure that somebody noticed? You found a way to make sure, right? You know what I'm talking about. Maybe I could put it this way. (laughs) When you are truly humbly washing feet, you don't need to Instagram it. Hashtag honor to serve. (laughs) Hashtag blessed to make a difference. (laughs) You know, you, you don't need to tell people, look what I'm doing. See, when you're humbly washing feet, no one needs to know because you realize serving is not about you. You realize it's about loving people, about glorifying God. Second, humility doesn't care if anyone notices. And I really do believe that one of the marks of a true servant is that he or she does not even really want to be noticed. They don't care if anyone does. Their only concern is to please God. And since they know that God sees everything they just served, they are content with the fact that their Father in heaven is watching and that he will reward. And in fact, let me put it to you this way. One of the signs that you need a little work on humility is you get irritated or angry when someone doesn't notice. True confession right here, are you ready? Who here has ever done something for someone in any kind of context and you didn't get noticed the way you thought you deserved and you got mad? Would you please raise your hand remembering that God is watching and you're in church? I think all of us have been in this place, right? Do you understand that if you get angry because you aren't noticed, if you quit doing something because no one said thank you, then at the very least, it means you got a problem with your humility, right? See, humility doesn't care if anyone notices. Now, I wanna be real clear. I'm not saying that we shouldn't appreciate others. I think that when we see people serving, if we see it, we should say thank you. That's appropriate. I'm simply saying if it doesn't happen, humility means I'm okay because I know God saw and I know God will reward. Servanthood is marked by humility, the kind that makes the gospel louder. Here's a third thing. Servanthood that makes the gospel louder is also grounded in grace. We see this in verses six through 11. John writes, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone 
was clean. I think these, these verses especially help us see the larger picture because they, they kind of ground our understanding of servanthood in the larger reality of God's grace. In other words, what Jesus was doing here was not just giving the disciples an example of humility for them to follow. What he's doing here is dramatically painting this picture of what his entire life and his entire ministry was all about. He was showing that he came to display the grace and the mercy of God. It's interesting, of course, for the reasons we've talked about, how none of the disciples really wanted Jesus to wash their feet. As usual, Peter's the one who speaks up. Peter's one of those guys, never has an interior thought, right? All of his mental operation happens verbally, vocally. You know, he's, he's hashtag no filter, right? That's Peter. Uh, some of you are people like that. If you would like right now to point to someone sitting next to you who's this kind of a person, feel free. You can call him Peter uh, before you leave. But Peter, he speaks up. And I was thinking you might wanna say, Peter put his foot in his mouth. But then you might not wanna say that. And, and, and Peter says, Jesus, no way are you gonna wash my feet. Now this is not because of his humility. As we've just said, it was because he didn't think it was right for a master to serve like that in that culture. But again, we are being reminded that Jesus by washing feet was saying very clearly, my kingdom is different than this world. Everyone serves in my kingdom because it's a kingdom of grace. And I think if you stop to think about it, you'll understand that when we know that we deserve nothing we have received, but it's all by grace, then serving becomes a natural response. Another way maybe of putting that is, the more you're living in grace, the more you're gonna serve. Because the more you're living in grace, the more you recognize that everything you have, everything you have, you don't deserve. The people who don't wanna serve are always the people not living in grace because they think they deserve something you see, Jesus is, is making this point and it's so important for us to see. Uh, Jesus goes on to tell Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And this word wash has a dual meaning here. It not only speaks of the foot washing that Jesus was giving, but also of the spiritual cleansing that Peter needed to be a follower of Jesus. And I, I love how verse nine, Peter says, well, I want the deluxe package then. You know, wash all of me, everything, head, hands, the whole thing. And, Jesus says, calm down, Peter. <laughs> he says in verse 10, you know, my grace has already cleansed you, all of you but one. And again, that was Judas. And what, what Jesus was reminding his disciples is that only he can cleanse from sin. It's only when we trust his death on the cross to bring us cleansing and forgiveness that we are cleansed. It's always a miracle of grace, always a gift. We never can earn it, we can only receive it. And I just wanna stop right here and ask, have you received it? Have you put your trust in Jesus' death on the cross to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from your shame and your guilt? Have you been washed by Jesus? And if you haven't, 
Would you take that step today? Would you place your trust in Jesus Christ, turning from your sin, believing that his death paid for your sin and that his death and his resurrection life brings cleansing, healing, new life for you as well? Maybe, maybe you're kind of like Peter and you've had a bath and maybe what you need today is just to have your feet washed. Maybe there's some part of your life, some area of sin that needs to be dealt with. Maybe today is the day where you come and in prayer you say, Jesus, wash me. I confess my sin. Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? You see, Jesus is showing us here that servanthood Grounded in grace, it changes, it changes everything. It sets us free to serve. And I think that's what we see um, in the fourth uh, characteristic, servanthood that makes the gospel louder. It acts in obedience. In other words, it's not about how you feel. If you're depending on how you feel to motivate you to serve, it's just not gonna happen so many times. I think obedience is almost always part of true servanthood because serving will often not be something that you, you want to do. Sometimes we just need to be obedient. Sometimes you're gonna find that it is a particular someone you don't want to serve. And think about this picture, who's at the table with Jesus. First person that obviously comes to mind is Judas. Can you try to imagine what was going through Jesus' mind as he held Judas' foot? I mean, he is, he's touching his betrayer. I mean, this is the guy who's going to end him. Jesus knows, I can do anything I want. I have all power. I could end this before it begins. Jesus, the Bible tells us, he holds all things in his hands. But at this moment, his hands are scraping manure off Judah's feet. Think of who else was there. Peter. I mean, Peter is so passionate. Peter talks such a good game, but Peter has no follow through, right? By the end of this night, we know because we've read the story, Peter's gonna go from saying, I will die for you, Jesus, to I don't know the guy. And the rest of the disciples, they weren't any better. They're doubters, they're fearful, they're weak. Every single one of them is going to run away and let Jesus down. Why is Jesus doing this for these people? And again, it's what we call grace, God's kindness to those who don't deserve it. God doesn't say, clean yourself up and then I'll love you. God says, I love you already, let me make you clean. Let me make it so that you can come into my presence without guilt or shame. See, God never, he never loves us because we're worthy. He makes us worthy because he loves us. That's grace. And when you know that grace, it should motivate you to act in obedience and serve. I hope you're not missing in this story, in these verses, that Jesus is actually commanding us to serve. That means if you're a follower of Christ, we either serve or we disobey. We either serve or we disobey. Now Jesus, he asks a question to get the disciples to think about what he's done and listen to verses 12 through 15. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, 
He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. If you stop to think about it, you'll see Jesus throws the disciples a curve here. I mean, they might have expected him to say something like, I washed your feet, so now you should wash my feet. Instead, he says, wash one another's feet. I mean, think about it. If he had said to those men, who wants to wash my feet? 12 guys would have sprung to their feet, right? Gotten their towels, you know, ready to wash. But he says, wash one another's feet. Well, that's another story, isn't it? (laughs) And I think it's still the same for us today. Who here would not be delighted to wash Jesus' feet? We would love to do this, but serving one another? That's, That's not nearly so interesting. And yet Jesus is saying, if you wanna serve me, you serve others. He concludes his teaching In verses 16 and 17, he says, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Some of you I know are always asking, how can I find the blessing of God in my life? It's right here, you see it? You wanna be blessed? Jesus tells you the secret right here. Build a life of servanthood. That's the path of blessing. So how do we do that? With the rest of our time, I'm gonna talk for a few moments about how to build a life of servanthood. And there's two big things that I want you to see. The first one is this. Don't make serving too complicated. You know, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us who we are and how we are to serve. He says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, So let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is telling us something very important here that when it comes to getting the the message of the good news out in this jaded world, about the only thing that causes people to pay attention sometimes is compassion. Have you noticed how servant it has a way of penetrating and getting through to people? Servanthood makes the gospel louder. People, people crane their necks to see light. Salt tastes good. They do a double take, don't they, when they see selfless acts of love and service? Jesus is saying to us, servanthood is irresistible. It's beautiful. And so Jesus says, just be salt. Just shine light. Now, here's one of the things that I know. I've been doing what I'm doing for decades now, I've been doing this a long time. One of the things I know is going on right now in this room is that some of you are sitting there metaphorically with your arms crossed. If your arms are physically crossed, don't worry. I'm not talking about that. But metaphorically, you're going, yeah, I know what you're up to. <laughs> you're just trying to get us to do stuff at the church. You're trying to fill slots for the organization. Now, here's what I'll say, and I saw all of you who uncrossed your arms right now when you thought I wasn't looking. Um, I make no apology for asking you to serve here at Southwinds. If you consider this to be your church home, then you should be helping with the chores, amen? You should take some responsibility. 
And you should recognize that what you receive here each Sunday and throughout the week, it never happens by accident. Literally hundreds of people serve and have been serving four years to make the ministry that you and your family receive possible. And many people, many people have given sacrificially so that we can be in this place and we can gather and we can worship. And if you're only taking and you're never giving, then you should get up, ask some questions, find a place to serve, get busy. But I also want you to know this is about more than that because true servanthood happens not only here up at the church campus, it happens in our everyday lives. Salt gets shaken, light shines out through small, seemingly insignificant acts of service as you go through your day. True servant really is about, about you seeing a need and meeting a need. Maybe you know this famous quote from Helen Keller. I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but I still can do something. I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. And, and she's just saying that change comes into this world one life at a time. And that, that was actually Jesus' plan. Why? Why was that Jesus' plan? Well, because when we human beings come to this planet, we are born here one at a time. We have our hearts broken one at a time. We suffer one at a time. We die one at a time. And we are helped one at a time. So what does it look like for you to serve as you're doing life, going through your week. That's the second thing that I wanna show you. And I'm gonna give a heading like this. You need to make and keep small, specific commitments. See, when you, you don't make commitments, you don't get specific, there's all kinds of, of wiggle room, right? This is, this is actually why I, I hate the phrase ish at the end of a word. Some of you use that word a lot, right? Say it all the time. Hey, Mike, I'll... Be over at your office, say five-ish. Ish, it gives you all kinds of latitude. You know, just put ish there. We'll have that project done for you, November-ish. I don't know what that means. What am I supposed to do with that? And you know, the worst case, obviously, is the Xfinity cable guy. <laughs> he says, Mr. Nolan, we're gonna hook your cable up afternoon-ish. What does that mean? Like I'm supposed to wait in my house for four hours just because you said ish? You know, what am I supposed to do for four hours? Like watch TV? Oh wait, I can't watch TV until you haul your ish over to my house and hook up my cable. <laughs> Mr. Nolan, what do you do for a living? <laughs> uh, Pastor-ish. <laughs> See, this is not only a principle of true servanthood, it's really a foundational principle of spiritual transformation that we move from good intentions to real life change when we make and when we keep specific commitments. In fact, we talk about this all the time in our discovery classes. We say it like this, you will never ever grow spiritually apart from making commitments. So under the second heading, let me give you four small specific steps that you can take in your life to serve and make the gospel louder. Here's the first one, just start where you live. Start where you live. You ever gone to one of those restaurants where they have like a 20 page menu and you don't know what to order, right? I mean, there's so much. 
you can kind of get overwhelmed by all the needs of the world and you look at yourself and you find yourself thinking, do I really have to do it all? And the answer is no, no, you don't. Now, I don't know exactly what serving will look like for you, but it doesn't need to be a big deal. If you're having trouble getting started, just be salt in life where you live. Go home today and serve your spouse. And yes, they're gonna know what you're doing, okay? It's okay. And guys, you, when you pick your wife up off the floor and put her in a chair, she'll thank you, all right? She's gonna be shocked, but she'll thank you. Just start where you live. Start in your neighborhood. Go to work tomorrow and figure out a way to serve there. Serve where you play and recreate. See, God puts you in that place for a reason, in that house or apartment for a reason, in that office or cubicle for a reason. And, and who knows, maybe, maybe God has you drive the same route to work every day, take the kids at the same time to school every day for a reason, or, or buy coffee at the same time and place every day for a reason. It's God's strategy, one life at a time, right where you live. I'd like you to do something real specific right now. Uh, if you're taking notes, I'd like you to write down the name of your street or maybe your neighborhood and put a question mark after that. And I wanna encourage you to think about that this week to ask God how he wants you to serve right where you live. Uh, that brings me to the second simple step of serving as you go, and that is to ask God to help you see. Ask God to open your eyes so you can see the needs around you you know, one of, of Jesus' most famous parables is in Matthew 25, it's verses 31 to 46, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And Jesus in this story tells us that one day he will hold us accountable for how we responded to the needs in our world. And he's also saying that when we serve people around us, he says, it's like you're serving me. And in this story, the sheep, the sheep are the people who see needs and meet them. And the goats, they're the people who are like basically oblivious to needs. I'm just asking, are your eyes open to the needs in your world around you? Would you be shocked to stand before Jesus one day and have Jesus say to you, I put you in that neighborhood in Tracy or Mountain House or Lathrop, in that place of work for a reason. There were needs, but you didn't care. I mean, I wonder how many of us, you know, you go into Starbucks or baristas so often that when you walk in, they just call you by name and they start working on your particular preferred coffee drink, right? I mean, you don't have a problem. Of course, you can stop anytime. We know, we understand that. But I was just thinking about that. Why is it that coffee baristas seem to pay better attention than we do sometimes? I wanna encourage you if you're in your life group this week when you're studying John 13, one through 17, to take some time together in that group to ask what are some needs that we see where we live in our part of town, in our neighborhood, among people we know. Maybe God's calling us to serve and make a difference. That connects us to our third step, which is to show love through simple acts. See, all you have to do once you notice a need is say, God, is there something you want me to do here, some act of love I could perform? And again, it does not matter how small. In Matthew 10, 41 to 42, this is what Jesus says, and this is the message paraphrase. I love the way uh, this is rendered here. This is a large work I've called you into, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. 
Give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. Don't get overwhelmed by the needs around you. Just find simple ways to show love. See, a cup of cold water, think about it, it doesn't take a ton of imagination. It doesn't take a whole lot of work. And yet, Jesus says a cup of cold water can change things, can change the world. See, it is, it is selfless acts, even the smallest sometimes of service that will make the, the gospel louder, that will ambush the people in Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop with God's love. See, so many people, we know this, don't we, are so skeptical about religion. It is compassion, it is service, it is humility that breaks through. And it's a cup of cold water that changes the world. You know, honestly, the world will not be changed by church buildings or great church music or by preaching sermons. It's changed one person at a time, one cup of cold water at a time. So what kind of cup of cold water could you give to someone even this week? And that raised a question for some of us. Well, what role does the church play? And I wanna put uh, that answer in a simple step number four, which is serve together with other Christ followers. You know, um, we're not naive. We, we know that as you do life, you're gonna encounter some needs you can't answer with a cup of cold water. There are some problems bigger than you. You're not qualified or, or, uh, to meet them. You don't have the skills or the experience or the resources. So thank God that you're part of a church family that has your back. Um, one of the things that Jesus intended for his community was that we would together be this kind of storehouse, this kind of arsenal of financial resources and talents and abilities so that we could do things together bigger than we could ever do on our own. And that's why it is so important that we gather together and we serve together because all of us are gonna encounter some situations that we can't handle on our own. But when you do, you're gonna have a church that has your back. We, we encounter all kinds of people who have all kinds of problems in our lives and we may want to reach them, but maybe we can't do it. Well, among other things, you can know that we have groups meeting all through the week that minister to people's needs. We have a care groups that meet on Wednesday nights, all kinds of, uh, of mental and emotional different needs that you can help point to, you can go with. On Friday, we have Celebrate Recovery where people can come and, and, and find a place to deal with their hurts and their habits and their hangups. You, you may encounter someone who has tangible physical needs and we have resources for benevolence where we can help. The church has your back. Maybe you remember, some of us have forgotten, but at the end of 2019, we launched something that we call Southwind Serves and it was a, a three-year emphasis of meeting tangible needs in practical ways across our community. Maybe remember our kind of our tagline, which was good deeds lead to goodwill, which opens doors for the good news. We haven't talked as much about Southland Serve during recent months, but I want you to know we're still serving. We're still meeting needs. And we're looking for ways to ramp this up as we continue to open things up after these last 18 months. And I'm gonna close in this way by just pointing out a real uh, reality that none of this happens apart from you, all of you, personally doing two things, and that are these two things, volunteering and giving. 
We have a great need for volunteers right now. Maybe you've noticed every Sunday, we're talking about places to serve. Will you step up and serve? We have a great need for generosity right now. I'll be honest with you, the last 18 months have been difficult for us as a church. And and it's true that many of you have remained faithful, but many more have not. They've not been giving generously. And serving always involves giving. So never make the mistake of thinking, well, I give my time, so I don't need to give my money. Jesus always calls us to love him and follow him and serve him with all that we have, our time, our talents, our treasures. And we actually are kind of facing some significant challenges, you know, brand new building that we only got to occupy a few months before a pandemic hit. Not exactly the way you'd wanna draw a plan up, right? But God is faithful. I'm confident God is gonna provide. But I also know the way he provides is through his people. And so Southwinds, here's what I'm asking in this message today about everything that you've heard. Will we together as God's people make the gospel louder? And one of the the, the most important ways we do that is through serving and through serving together. Before we leave, I, I wanna show you a video. It's a video of our baptisms just this last Sunday. Many of you were there. You got to see it in person. You got to celebrate what God has done. And I want us to do that together as we wrap up this service. But very specifically, as we watch, here's what I want to encourage you to be thinking. I want you to be thinking as you watch these people baptized, this is why I serve. This is why I give. This is why I'm a part of the Southwinds family so that, so that people across Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop can come to know and come to follow Jesus. Why don't you watch this video with me? Baptism is something we do out of obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. And what we learn from reading the scripture is that baptism is like the first step of obedience for someone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, come on. Oh, come, come to the water, all who are thirsty, come and be filled. Oh, come, come to the river, brothers and sisters, come and be healed. One and all, come on, together.
As we close, I want to invite you, would you stand to your feet? And I want to leave you with this word from God. I do believe it is God's word to us here at Southwinds today. You've already heard it once. I want to highlight it again. It's the last verse that we study, John 13, 17. And I want you, if you would, to read these words with me, okay? Join in as we read together. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. I'm praying that each of us will be blessed. This is the word of the Lord given to God's people today. Will you receive it? And will you take it with you as you live for Jesus this week? Thanks for being here today. We'll see you next week. Be blessed. You're dismissed.